Brian Reisman here, host of Side Jams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm here to let you know that as you're going to find out in the intro, this is also going to be my first video podcast. So starting with episode 56 featuring Andy Beersack from Black Veil Brides, there's going to be a video component to the show as well. You can continue listening to the audio-only format through Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Spotify, or whichever streaming service you prefer. If you want to watch it on YouTube, you can look for Side Jams with Brian Reisman there or go to the Pantheon podcast channel on YouTube. They'll be sharing my videos there as well. Further, I have new theme music, Rookie of the Year by Bobo Renthley. I licensed the track through Soundstripe, so I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening and your support. I have a lot of exciting things coming up. Hey everybody, it's Brian Reisman, host of Side Jams, welcoming you to the first video podcast of the series. For those of you who are new to the Side Jams world, I interview musicians about their outside passions and their hobbies. My guest for this episode, Andy Beersack, frontman for Black Veil Brides. They have a new album out called The Phantom Tomorrow. It's a cool concept record that made my top 10, so please check it out. Also, there's going to be a comic book adaptation of the album coming that was written by Andy. Fans know that he also penned the graphic novel The Ghost of Ohio a couple of years ago that came out through Z2 Comics, and they know of his adoration for the character of Batman, or The Batman, depending upon what you want to call him. That's going to be the title of the next movie with Robert Pattinson next year. This episode, we're going to get into all things Batman, and he's going to talk about his favorite iterations of the character, the artists he prefers, the storylines that he likes. He dressed up as a Cape Crusader as a kid and got into the animation, the comic books, the movies, the collectibles. He even got to voice Batman for a recent DC Comics animatic. Now, if you like what you see in here, please click on that subscribe button down below so you can keep apprised of future episodes. I'm going to be taking the previous 55 audio-only episodes and bringing them onto YouTube as well. You can also keep up with Side Jams on your socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But now, it's time to sit back and take a deep breath, because we're about to dive deep into Andy Beersack's obsession with the Batman. So hey everybody, this is Brian Reisman with Side Jams, here with Andy from Black Veil Brides, doing our Hello. first video podcast. The very first one. The very first one, so this is the, this is the great experiment. Thank but. you so much for having me on the <laughs> inaugural video podcast. Uh, would that I could say I'm in a, a better situation, but I'm in a hotel room in Idaho right now, so I don't have quite the collection going. Normally, when I when I do these interviews, I'm I, at home in my studio. I'm full of fanboy comic book paraphernalia, so uh, yeah, we'll yeah. have to just imagine it today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got you know I, I got a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I, a friend of mine had bequeathed a lot of Batman stuff on him. The Bat, greatest Batman. Yeah. Story. I read Batman: Holy Terror. I don't know if you've seen this one actually. I have not read it, but I've been recommended it a number of times. Yeah, it sort of takes place in a future a future world. Where I guess Oliver Cromwell had survived, and basically the Church of England is still very strong. And Bruce Wayne is yeah. actually a priest. He's about, yeah. he's about to become a priest. He goes into this is an alternate reality where he finds out his parents were murdered and decides to avenge them. So he becomes the, the Cape Crusader, but also is a priest. It's like a very yeah. interesting theological twist on the Dark Knight. I see, and that's why so many people have recommended it to me because there's two things I love: it's Batman and uh, overt theology. So. Those are, those are some of my favorite subjects. Well, in a way, Batman is like, it's kind of like your big icon, isn't he? Yeah. It's like, it's like the Church I mean, it's of always, Batman where you are. <laughs> or the altar Certainly. I mean, I think, you know, people look to, um, you know, and, and this is not to be glib or to be dismissive of any kind of religion. But for me, as someone who's non-theistic, um, I had these heroes like Batman who, as a reference point, for um, 
parables or tales of how to live your life. Mm -hmm. The thing that impacted me the most as a kid was create something more of yourself. Even if you're afraid, even if people don't respect you or like you or make fun of you, make something that you're really proud of and wear that outside so that you can eventually become that thing that you want to be. So as a, as a teenager and as a kid growing up, it was, you know, wearing my misfit shirts and eyeliner and everybody's throwing stuff at me and making fun of me at school in Ohio. Mm. I felt like that was my bad suit. You know, that was the thing that regardless of what anybody else thought about it, that was how I projected myself to the world. And that was my, you know, giant cape and pointy ears. It was the thing that I thought, I don't care if they're freaked out by me or whatever it is. I'm going to use yeah. this as my, my iconography, the way that I see the world. And so, you know, in many other ways, just the self-belief, the idea of making something out of yourself, not having superpowers. I was not born with a beautiful singing voice. I never opened my mouth and sang in a beautiful soprano voice or a tenor voice. Uh, but I figured I could teach myself how to do something that I liked the way it sounded. And I didn't need superpowers to do that. So there's, there's many, many ways that that character has been influential. So how old were you when you first discovered Batman? What was your first exposure? Oh. Uh, I think I was probably three and it was, wow. uh, Batman, the animated series. Um, it was kind of an amalgam of a bunch of stuff. Batman, the animated series had just started airing on Fox and it aired at nights. And my dad, uh, my mom often worked nights and my dad worked during the day. So a lot of times I'd be home alone with my, just my dad at nights. Um, and we would watch that. And then, uh, he, he got a VHS copy of the, the, Adam West Batman movie. Um, not, the series wasn't available for commercially for years and years. But the yeah, movie. yeah, I remember. Yeah, um, and then right around that time is when uh, Batman Forever came out about a year later. And by the time Batman Forever came out, I was just fully invested. I had watched the first two Keaton movies a billion times each, and you know, had worn out the VHSs. And so by the time I was five, I was completely and utterly obsessed with the character, and was dressing like Batman every day I get home from school and put on my makeshift bat suit and walk around the neighborhood every day. Uh, and it was, wow. you know, it was also around the same time that I discovered kiss and, and Gene Simmons was so Batman like that. It was just like, those were the two, the two sides of the coin of, of little Andy was, was Gene Simmons <laughs> and, and Batman. Yeah. I think Gerard way said this to me a few years ago when we did an interview about rockers working on comic books. And he mentioned how a lot of the DC heroes are like gods. Superman, yeah. Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, even Green Lantern, Flash in a certain way, whereas like Batman was more human. I mean, he, fe he seems more superhuman in certain storylines, sure. but underneath the suit, he's more of just a regular man. And those are never the ones that I like. I don't like Batman in Justice League. I don't think it ever makes sense. You know, for me, hmm. it's never good to point out the fact that he is useless to the gods around him. You know what I mean? He works, in my opinion, he works best on his own as a character. Yeah. Because you're right, the rest of the DC universe are these mythological creatures that have all otherworldly powers. And it, he's not Tony Stark. He doesn't have tech that also makes him, at least in, in stories that I like, tech that also makes him a god. You know, he is more often than not in Justice League stories, the like wise, cracking, like angry guy. And it seems sort of useless. <laughs> That's a great way You know what I mean? It. So I, I always like him on his own in most cases. Because you're right, it is a, it's a human character. Um, and I even like, you know, it's sort of funny. My entry point into the comics was 
not Bruce Wayne as Batman. The first Batman comic book I got as a kid was the uh, first issue of Jean-Paul Valley, Azrael, taking over the, the Cape and Cow and becoming Batman when Bane had broken Batman's back. Mm. And his, his story was very interesting. He was in a religious cult. He was kind of nuts. He was someone who made a crazy suit that had knives and he would kill the villains rather than just putting them in Arkham Asylum because he said, after all these years, why do you keep giving these villains all these chances? You put them in this place and then they break out right away. And it was, you know, in retrospect now, people didn't like that version of the character and I can understand why, but it really fascinated me. Yeah. And, And by the way, you know, it's not people look at that version of the character as being illegitimate it was Denny O'Neill who wrote the story. This is, this is really high quality Batman writing. It just wasn't what people wanted at the time. I think it would work better now because people are more accustomed to Elseworld story, but this was directly in the official Batman canon. So people oh, yeah. got mad about it. It only lasted like, I think like six, eight months, but the whole nightfall night quest night's end storyline is still one of my favorites ever. Yeah. This Holy Terror thing is another one of the Elseworlds thing. It's just a one shot. It didn't, it wouldn't go much beyond that. And it, yeah, I mean, when he, I mean, when it started out too, I started reading some of the original comics, and it's like Gotham was actually called New York. <laughs> I was like, they didn't actually make that distinction. So you have Gotham and Metropolis, which are both basically New York. But yeah, um, and Batman in the earliest comics uh, drove the same car that Bruce Wayne drove, inexplicably red red convertible. Uh, isn't it funny how like you look at that stuff back then and how things sort of gradually evolved, and then. And I also think by the 80s when Frank Miller took over, then it started to take a different turn. I mean, I actually like a lot of the 70s detective comic stuff. They're almost like goth- they're gothic murder mysteries, a lot of them. Batman Year Two, a lot of those, those storylines where it is a, a detective mystery. And, and Batman is more famously the Year Two stuff. He, he wields a gun and he's basically like a, you know, a CSI detective in a, in a blue tights, you know, a gray tights with a, with a blue cape. <laughs> We're speaking of him being sort of not a superhuman. I found a couple issues of Detective Comics from the 80s. I found them randomly at two stores. So this is, uh, I think, 596 and 597. So this is back in the 80s. And he essentially, they're a little shiny there. So essentially, he gets caught up in this very small crime ring where these guys are doing what was happening on YouTube a few years ago, where they're taking a, a camcorder and going around and beating people up on camera. And so he tries to stop. He stops these guys from doing it, and they, then they hire this guy who's huge. He's like Lou Ferrigno, you know, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they get him to get beaten up on camera, and he has to track them down. And that was interesting, actually. It, I guess he goes through these phases. It, I'm curious. I was thinking about that. What have you thought of all the re- – I mean, DC's been doing a ton of rebooting over the last decade, and there's been a lot of different versions of, of the character and then Joker and the different origins. Uh, well, how have you felt about all that stuff going on? I enjoy it because I think that it's a good idea to reset some of these characters sometimes. You know, there are decisions that are made in the canon that are sometimes regrettable. I mean, a lot of people didn't love Barbara Gordon's plight over the last 30 years. And so to be able to reset some of these characters and give them a new chance within the main canon, I think, is important. You've got characters that have been in continuous publication for 80 years. You can't just keep going down the storyline forever. So some stuff works. You know, I, I didn't love the, the death of Batman storyline. Um, I liked a lot of the, the new 52 stuff. I liked a lot of the rebirth stuff. Um, you know, it, it really, for me, I'm anymore because my life is not in a situation where I can often just sit and read the books. I'm often reading on the, the DC Universe app or on my iPad or whatever else. And I, I try to yeah. focus stuff right now. 
really enjoying the Batman 89 series because I just am such a fan of the Burton universe. So to have uh, essentially a new movie in the Burton universe uh, in comic book form has been a lot of fun. And then, of course, the movies are entirely, I mean, you're talking about you, you, you discovered the, the Adam West Batman, which is why I first saw as a kid. And I, I got into it. Then as I get older, it's it is definitely funny in a kitschy sense. <laughs> yeah. You but know? you didn't know that when you were a kid, just like me. I did, I had no idea watching it, that it was satire. But now as an adult, you can enjoy it for different reasons because it's it's genuinely funny. And it's what well, the funny thing about it is it's it's pretty biting and ahead of its time in a lot of ways. You got to think about this. It's 1966. You know, television was in many ways, much more clean cut and less sardonic. And you've got characters like Vincent Price playing Egghead that is very, yeah, very kind of sardonic and quippy and, and in ways that you weren't seeing reflected in other forms of media at the time. Well, also, I think I think there was a pilot or they had a trailer, a teaser for a file. I think it was actually a Batgirl or Batwoman series back then that just didn't go, th- they didn't go through. There's a lot of things they tried in different ways. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was very hard. I mean, in the 70s, like there was a great Doctor Strange movie in the seventies. It just didn't. It, that was actually very horror oriented, and it didn't get that much play. And I wish it had because yeah. we the, the Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby, the Hulk was good for what it was. But it was interesting how actually back in the day, DC was ahead of the game on the movies, and then yeah. Marvel was behind in the series. And then it kind of flipped where like DC kind of took over television, and then yeah. Marvel was big in the movies. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and a lot of that comes down to Superman being. The, the juggernaut that it was, the first Christopher Reeve Superman. And then yeah. basically Michael Luslan and, and several others taking, buying the Batman property and taking it to Warner Brothers and saying, hey, you've got this big hit with Superman. Let's try to get this going. And I think it took nearly 10 years of development for them to even get that done where the first Batman movie came out. There were many different iterations. And the movie was almost made with yeah. Bill Murray as Batman. And it was going to be another sort of 60s spoofy type thing. So the trajectory of Batman on film is in its own right, incredibly interesting. And, and there's some documentaries like, you know, you'll see special features type stuff, but I'd love to see a really comprehensive documentary about from the mid seventies, basically through the end of the nineties, that whole journey of Batman on film is, is pretty crazy. Well, also because, you know, Burton took it more seriously. He had this dark sense of humor. Clearly he's always had that, but then Schumacher was putting it more into camp territory after a while. I mean, I think he was trying to find, but I, from what I understand, he actually had a different version that he wanted to do, but the studio just really didn't want to do it. I think he wanted the to be like... The Red Book version, supposedly it exists, uh, of, of Batman Forever. And, and I mean, the reality is he had a mandate from the studio. It's pretty well documented that, particularly by the second one, you are making commercials for toys. Yeah. And if that's your job, you've got to do the job. I, I think a lot of people are unfairly critical of Joel Schumacher. And I think in retrospect, People hate on those movies because they maybe weren't the age for it. But I can tell you, in 1995, I was about to turn five years old, and Batman Forever was the greatest movie I had ever seen in my entire life. Oh, of course, and, yeah. You know, I was <laughs> I was the right age for it. You know, so it's all about where your entry point is. By the time Batman Begins came out, it was the right thing; it needed to happen. Um, but I do think that those movies are sometimes uh, maligned in, in ways that are. Uh, re-remembering history to make fun of something well joel schumacher i just I did a friend of mine and i did a, a commentary for flatliners that's coming out uh in a few months and it's interesting because i think you look at lost boys you know flatliners and he did dying young he did falling down and i think schumacher was more of a serious filmmaker than a lot of people think you yeah. know they look at and certain... stuff skewed darker too you know all those things you just listed are very dark films in their own way 
Oh, absolutely. And I love that stuff. I mean, that's, and I think that's why for me, Batman is, is more intriguing. I, I mean, I love, like, I love the, I love the first Wonder Woman movie. That was fun. The new one I was a bit mixed on. Um, although I love the fact that it's an, an homage to the Richard Donner Superman series very clearly, but yeah, Nolan took it, sort of took it into a different realm as well. Um, yeah. Did you enjoy that, that particular run? Those movies? Absolutely. Uh, I, I, it's so bizarre because I'm Christian Bale is not my favorite Batman. I don't really like the suit, hmm. but I love I love those three movies so much as the totality of them. And I love my least favorite is Batman Begins. That tends to be everyone's favorite uh, who are Batman fans. Interesting. Dark is obviously the most famous of the series and one of yeah. the most successful movies of all time. But if you talk to dedicated Batman fans, they all say Batman Begins is the best. I really think that I like the third one the most because of we, we go back to my entry point into Batman was Nightfall. That is the Nightfall movie. That's Bane breaking down Batman, breaking his back. I got to see the shot in a live action movie of Bane holding up Bruce Wayne and breaking his spine, just like on the cover of the first comic book I ever got as a kid. So for me personally, even though Rises is not seen as the greatest film, I fucking yeah. love it. I'll watch it every day. It's interesting how a lot of times, you know, you there, there are things that are fan favorites. And I'll go, I don't know about that. Same thing with music. It's like, I like the deep cuts. You know, I'm not sure. always about the hit singles. And that happens with the movies. You find the movies like, Absolutely. well, that was actually more interesting. I'm like, I, I love the, I mean, I mean, a lot of people probably will never see it. It's out. But, you know, like the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 is, yeah. is something people were, even though the British French had to do the ending of Superman 1 because they didn't have any other footage because he was fired. Yeah in that process. And I look at that, I'm like, I wish he had stayed on that series because it would have been a dark, darker kind of run throughout the eighties thing of the comics what would be like, which kind of Batman do you prefer? Cause it's obviously been different versions. I assume you like a lot of the darker, more Gothic yeah, stuff. Or is I, there something... I, it's not, I, I'm a fan more of Batman as a detective. I like the noir detective stories. So I like, yeah. I would say my favorite storyline or, or uh, book is, is the long Halloween. I think that that is, mm. Um, one of my favorite Batman tales that's ever been told. Um, I like Dark Victory. I like all the Tim Sale, Jeff Loeb stuff. Uh, those that I, that's one of my just my favorite combination of, of people on books. But um, and what do you like? Why do you I love mean, the Long Halloween for? What, what do you love about that series the most? It's just one of the most complete detective stories I've ever read in a comic book. Like it's just it's everything you love about like your favorite crime show, but it just happens to be Batman. And there's all these things that unfold throughout the course of the different holidays and over the course of the years that it plays out that are a mystery. And you want to know who's, who is this killer? Who is this person? And it, it's gripping in the way that a good crime novel is. Well, that's the thing. That's what I like about them. I mean, I think sometimes I think what I like is it's evolved. I think in the last 20, 30 years, it feels like, Early DC stuff was very plot driven. So it was sort of like how a lot of the heroes were going to solve the, the conundrum or the crime and the decision, sure. but it didn't wasn't as character driven. And it feels like a lot of the stuff that you like, some of the stuff I've responded to is a bit more character driven. Yeah, cool. Holy Terror is interesting and a lot of other stuff. Here's something that's actually kind of, well, yeah, I got this. Uh, this. this is the kind of stuff from the 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love those things. Anything Alan Moore is, is always great. That's true. What other, are there, um, what do you think we've, we sort of get a lot of, I mean, it's great that they brought Bane and we oftentimes we get a lot of the same. It's good that else we haven't gotten a lot of the same villains. We already got the penguin. We already got Catwoman, although she came back again. Are there any underrated villains in that, in that universe that you like that you'd like to see on screen? I'm actually excited that we are going to get 
a version of the Riddler coming up in the Batman because I think the Riddler is a character that is misunderstood. If you read a book like Hush, um, he's a mad genius and the things that he puts Batman through and the the crazy concepts and ideas that, that can be explored with that character. Now, again, I loved Batman Forever as a kid, but the Riddler in the comics is a very different character to the Riddler that you see Jim Carrey play or Frank Gorshin play. Yeah. Um, and so seeing a a psychopath uh, version of the Riddler more accurate to the comics, as I believe we're going to get to see in the Batman, is, is exciting. Yeah, I had a friend in in college who was such a big Batman fan. He went to St. Mark's Comics and he bought the the bat suit that they had there. It was like a, the time was like one hundred fifty bucks or more, which today is you know four hundred dollars. Sure. He was really into yeah. it, and he loved the Tim Burton Batman movie because he liked the fact that you know what it's like. Yeah, these, both these guys are kind of crazy. Like they've got this yeah. idea in their head of being a hero and being a villain, and we discussed that when we were just doing the Billboard interview about about the new Black Veil Brides album. Like, there's a certain line that gets walked, and with Batman and a lot of those characters, there is that ambiguity that exists yeah. in that universe more so than the other ones. And that's uh, one of my favorite things about the Burton movies also reflects some of my favorite Batman books is when it is acknowledged that the person who dresses like a bat and goes outside at night to fight crime may be slightly different than other people emotionally. <laughs> uh, you think? I struggle with, I struggle with the, he's a handsome, well-adjusted, perfect debonair millionaire. And then he also has this thing because I know that in many ways it's always oh, throwing people off the scent. But I oftentimes think that people forget that this character has to have a certain level of uniquely tortured nature about them. And that's one of the things I loved about Michael Keaton's portrayal is you believe that that guy would need to dress in a ridiculous suit yeah. to do this. Whereas sometimes, and this is no knock on Ben Affleck, but at no point do you ever think, well, this guy needs to put on a rubber suit. So you just go, well, he's fucking huge. You can just go out and punch people. Like, why does he need to put on this suit to mm. do something? You know what I mean? What do you think of the casting of Robert Pattinson? I'm really excited about it. I think, again, it falls more in line with how I enjoy seeing the character. I enjoy seeing the character as someone who is not an MMA fighter, someone who has to yeah, yeah. work with what they've got and train themselves to do this thing that tortures them if they don't do it as opposed to somebody who is a perfect physical specimen that can looks exactly like the same body type as Superman and it needs to go out there and wear a bad suit doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's nothing against that. It's just my preference for the character. Somebody who's more, my favorite drawings of the character are like Kelly Jones, the very kind of vampiric and scary version of the character. Yeah, so I think one of your fans, and some of your fans and you two have said that they'd like to see you playing a vampire. So <laughs> you yeah, respond sure. to that. So now are there any other beyond, I mean, how much, what kind of Batman collectibles do you have? I'm kind of curious. I had asked Rishi Faulkner from Judas Priest about his Star Wars stuff. And I'm kind of curious what you collect oh, on that. Yeah, end. I mean, I have, I have just everything. Uh, but my thing I'm most excited or proud of that I have is I have in my studio, I have a screen lineage, which means that it's cast from the same mold that uh the masks were made from for the film so screen lineage oh, wow. uh masks of every film except for the upcoming Pattinson movie and i've got them all displayed uh in my room so of all the many batman collectibles and i have hundreds and hundreds of action figures and comics and graphic novels and dvds and cars and just everything 
the the cowls because they're it just to be able to look at something that looks exactly like the thing that I watched as a little kid in these movies is so cool. So it's like anytime I'm sitting in my studio, I swivel my chair around and I just see exactly Michael Keaton's cowl right there. And it's, it's very cool. Have you ever met any of the actors who played Batman? No, I haven't actually. Uh, I don't know that I care to. It's not, I mean, it's not that I wouldn't. It's just that I, to me that as someone who has acted and done things, like the character that you're portraying is very different than who you are as a person. You know what I mean? So um, I would love to meet them, I suppose, but I never thought about it. I was never like, oh, I hope I get to meet Michael Keaton as opposed to do I get to meet Batman? Like if Michael Keaton were himself Bruce Wayne, I think it'd be more exciting. Do you go to any of those conventions? Yeah. Have you ever secretly gone as Batman? (laughs) No, I've been lucky enough to, you know, when I, when I released the Ghost of Ohio comic book, I did a number of years ago. Yeah. yeah. Or Comic Con and then um, did San Diego that year as well. And then I've done a handful of Comic Cons and Horror Cons and stuff over the years. And it's, I always feel at home with those things. I love looking at toys and masks and other bullshit. It's, it's my favorite. Yeah, actually, I think I met you briefly at Paul Booth's studio. I think you had done some sort of some sort of party there, like three. Yeah, we three were four years ago. Ohio, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I think it was before it come out. Yeah, I like that stuff, and yet at the same time, at, at the end of it, I'm, I'm I always like the shopping for a lot of back issues, but it can be it can be exhausting. It's amazing if you're actually there the whole. <laughs> I usually end up doing a lot of interviews anyway, but it's it's sort of fascinating. I, I mean, even when you were a kid, that stuff really wasn't that big yet. Have you been shocked at how how much this has actually exploded in the last like 10, 15 years? I mean, every year and just coming up this week, there's now digital ones. You know, the DC fandom is later this week. And that's a like a 12 hour virtual con where there's all these panels and everything like it's the demand for that is is so much greater than I could have ever imagined. It's just exciting to get to know that this thing that I've loved since I was literally, you know, in the most formative stages of my life uh, is so big and so accessible now. So I know that the new album, The Phantom of Tomorrow, is going to have a graphic novel adaptation. So who, who worked on that? Who are the artists that worked on it? And- uh, you know, right now, we are still in the, in the phases of kind of getting everything together. So we've okay. got a number of different artists who are submitting different things. So um, for me, the dream is always to have stuff that looks and mirrors the, the stuff that I was most influenced by. So I wanted to be able to have things that had that early spawn feel where the, the panels mm-hmm. are bright and the Todd McFarlane style where the, the line work is very stark and you've got hard edges and things are very moody, but they also have a lot of color. So right now it's more so about finding ways to, to build those influences into what it is. Yeah, Spawn's having a bit of a resurgence right now too. On yeah, top of absolutely. the 30th anniversary, all these different series and then the uh, hopefully a movie at some point with Todd McFarlane. So as far as, so I was thinking about, is there anything else? When people, when people come into your house and they see this collection, how do they respond? Especially people who aren't Batman fans. I'm always curious. Uh, kind of like the way people respond you know, to this stuff here. I don't have a lot of people over to my house who don't already know who I am as a person. So I think it's more just a like, a, oh yeah, this is what I expected. Uh, <laughs> so I would say the craziest thing I have is I have a, the costume for our character Blackbird that I made um, for the music videos. I have the a album, seven yeah. foot tall uh, mannequin that is dressed, I have the makeup and the, everything, and it's in my room lit with red lighting all around. It's terrifying. Uh, but so that Perfect. is, that's the thing that if anybody sees that, that, that is, is a jarring situation. I, I believe that there was a moment where my wife didn't know how she felt about it. And now she loves it as like a protector of the household kind of thing. Uh, like but not like right a, over your bed, of, though. <laughs> no, it's you know it's up in my studio upstairs. But 
it's like some sort of weird, you know, I don't know, Annabelle thing where like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. as long as we don't move it, it's protecting us in some way. <laughs> How did, is she a comics fan at all or does she? She's Absolutely. Sort of ex- oh, she is. She loves, she loves all the characters. She doesn't have as much direct comic book reading experience as she does read some stuff, but she is heavily invested in both the DC and Marvel universes and knows all the characters, the backstories, and all that stuff. Oh, that's more cool. so the, the Marvel stuff, even more so than me. Oh, that's interesting. So lots of, no uh, Marvel or DC arguments going on? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just uh, whatever's best, you know, whatever entertains us. So now I was going to ask, you know, there's one series I did want, one thing I did want to ask about recently, because they did these sort of the marriage to Catwoman that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, I was curious how you responded yeah. to that when it came out. I look at all this stuff as, you know, you might as well throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. Like we said, you've got a character that's been in production for 80 years. Those ideas are, they're sitting there. And of course, You've got a long-standing relationship with Bruce and Selena, so why wouldn't they give that a shot or not give it a shot or hint to it? Uh, people that react negatively to these events that occur within the canon always surprise me because it's like, guys, shit's going to happen and then there'll be a reset of the whole universe anyway. So just like, why does it, why does it bother you? Even if you don't like I First of all, I don't get uh, being mad about it, but I'll never understand people who are mad about it and then take to the internet to complain about it. Like, it's... Even worst case scenario, if you hate a storyline, it's all going to get reset in a year and a half anyway. Well, now we have, and now we have Superman is coming out as bisexual. Like, yeah, today. And by the way, yeah, I mean that is all that. That's the other thing that I, I never understand is the the fervor that people have and the anger that people have towards giving people an opportunity to see themselves in these characters that we've loved forever. Why not have an opportunity for someone who loves this character to see something of themselves in it? It it boggles my mind that it would ever change your interpretation of the character for someone else to get the feel more close to them. There's a billion and 50 different iterations of all these characters. Why not allow people to have the opportunity to be reflected and to feel some representation? Oh yeah. With all these characters going seven, eight decades. I mean, that's the argument I've come up with like, yeah, you know, you've already had, you have to, you can collect all the back issues too. I mean, there's thousands of them. I mean, it's not like you're going to run out of of, There's a lot of iterations of all these characters. So if there's a version that you don't like, go crazy there's a million different versions that you might well i think part of it and it's like i mean obviously we're you could argue we're in touch with our inner child like we still love yeah. these things i still collect stuff i still go to conventions and i'll occasionally get t-shirts right i don't buy as much of the collectibles but i buy like a lot of the back issues it feels like maybe for some of the older fans they are uh it's like a part of their childhood and if they don't if they're more conservative than us then they kind of like oh my god my, my childhood's changed and it's like well your childhood didn't change because you still no, have because that. they weren't the most people, by the way, 99.9% of the people that complain about this stuff haven't read a comic book in their life or haven't read a comic book since they were a kid because they would That's know that these characters evolve. Any of us who keep up with the books and the separate canons know that there have been wildly different ideas that have been introduced in all these characters. You know, the storylines in the 70s, there were storylines where the Green Arrow is trying to get his little buddy off of heroin. Most people aren't that, complaining, yeah. oh, my childhood is ruined because Green Arrow, it's just the reality. Most people that complain have no idea what they're complaining about. So I think you're right. I think that, yes, you can connect it to your childhood, but like, then fucking go like the thing you liked in your childhood. Because the reality for me is I love the wrestler Sting, And hmm. when I was a kid, it meant everything to me. And I'm still, I still like professional wrestling, but it, nothing will ever match 
1997, long-haired, fucking cool-looking, the crow version of the stick. Yeah, yeah. He wrestles today, and he's a much older man, and time comes for us all, and he still looks great, and he's still out there. But I don't say it ruins my childhood because he's in his 60s now, and he doesn't look the same as he did when I was a kid. I love that, and I'm appreciative that he's still doing it. If I wasn't appreciative, then I wouldn't have to watch it, but I'd still have my childhood. You know what I mean? Uh, well, look, I'm a, I'm a guy who argues that uh, you should listen. You should listen to new music by veteran artists. You know, it's, oh, yeah, it's absolutely. You know, it's like in 20 years when there's another black, there's more black felt brides albums, and some people are just like, well, I still, you know, so listen to some of the early stuff. I'm like, so well, yeah, Distortion's but- best record is Sex, Love, and Death. Bruce Springsteen's best complete album is Magic. I know everyone will argue with me on those two things, but as complete totality of of their work, those are artists that had 25 years prior to making those records. If you listen to them objectively and without the bias of what you grew up with as a kid, if you listen to them objectively, they're the most complete and well-done records in their catalog. And one came out in 2007, the other one came out in 2005, long after those bands were and artists were well-established. So I believe that you you are absolutely right. No, I, and I think, and, it's, and and look at what we're talking about with all this Batman history and like all these you know, all these collections that go on and on. I mean, like they've had decades to also refine these characters. So you get things like Dark Knight Returns, and you get The Killing Joke, and Death in the Family, and all the other stuff, and, and some of the recent series. And it took a while to finesse that and to find well, things. We, I mean, some of the early Batman stuff it's fun, but it's it's a very different era. It, it feels more naive. But you weren't allowed to be as explicit as you are today also. It's the same thing with motion pictures. I don't think a lot of young people realize that the motion picture production code between 1930 and 1968 restricted what you could show on screen. Absolutely. So and the comics code restricted what could be in the books. Is finally, is there if you were to recommend like a series or an on-screen uh, iteration of Batman, where would you suggest somebody younger start out if they didn't know Batman and you wanted to get, to get them into it? I think Batman the Animated Series and The New Adventures of Batman, those two series are always the best entry point because it's it's a great balance of really true to the source material version of the character and enough fun and whimsy that a kid can get into it. And I think that it is the reason why so many people of my age range love this character and what led to the expansion of the character and, and then what they call Batman and everything else of the 90s yeah. was... Bruce Tim and Paul Dini and these guys really nailed the character and in a way that I believe is probably the best version of the character outside of the comic books. So I would always recommend that. Do you think do we, do we think we're at a point that we've hit peak sort of comic book saturation now? I always wonder that, but I, I was, I've had this conversation five, six, seven years ago that, Oh, we've reached the peak comic book movies. And then everyone that comes out is the biggest thing in the world. So, <laughs> uh, all I know is there's a Batman movie coming out in March, and that is that is always it's going to be a good year for me if that happens. You're going to be on a you're going to see it on a giant screen. Absolutely, I'll be on tour. Probably, who knows? At this point, seems like it's a good bet now that touring is happening again that I'll probably be on tour at some point next year and, and have to go to a, a multiplex in somewhere in, in the world and, and go check it out. If you got the opportunity to write a Batman comic, would you do that? Immediately, yes. Just like when they asked me if I wanted to do the voice of it for the the, uh, the animated uh, animatic series uh, for Dark Knight's Death Metal, I got the voice Batman. That's and right. I said yes immediately. So anytime anything Batman related, I will do it. Immediately. And how was that experience, by the way? Incredible. 
I've been practicing my Batman voice since I was a little kid. So it was, uh, <laughs> I always say it's, it's the, it's the, probably the only job that I was, uh, had never, have never done before, but considered myself really qualified for. Was it more challenging than you thought it would be though? Cause sometimes you can do something, no. and go, oh, this would be easy. And you jump in, you're like, oh, that was tricky. No, it really wasn't. It was, uh, I'm not saying it's easy. It's, it's always, to try to do a, a good job with the characterization of something is, is always a difficult task, but it was, it was just fun. It was really, really fun. Excellent. Well, cool. Thank you, man. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I got to go through more of this stuff. I've been, that's like, I, I was trying, I was going to try to even read more stuff. Then I grabbed you now. I'm like, all right, <laughs> you're the expert. So hopefully it's we'll all see. good. Yeah. I think it went well. We got, we got plenty of Batman to talk about. We did. That wraps up this latest installment of Side Jams. Stay tuned for episode 57, featuring Buzz Osborne from the Melvins. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.